He's the true vine. Chapter 15, verse 1 and 5. He said, Before Abram, I was. And then he said, I am. Same verse 8, chapter 8, verse 58. Then he said, I am. This is actually Exodus. I am, chapter 18, verse 5. I'm sorry, this is Exodus 3. Text really tonight. I just want to give you that background. Our text tonight really is I heard, I believe it was Elder Frazier. She came from John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. That's really our text. And I have some subtext, not subtext, but I have some associated text to John chapter 1. So I'm going to go ahead and read John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That's our text for tonight. In the beginning was the word. So he was always the beginning. Always the beginning. And we hear other people talk about, well, <clears throat> this book or that book came before Bible, that's not our concern. But what they don't want to talk about is who was in the beginning. The Word. He was with God. He was God. He was in the beginning with God. Period. So the reason why I'm going over this tonight is because the topic, if I had a topic, the topic really is Jesus. It's Jesus. And I'll explain to you why. In just a minute. So we go to St. John. This is associated to the first. St. John 3, verse 15 to 17. Verse 16 probably is the most popular verse in the world. I mean, it's on billboards. You go to sporting events, you see the scripture. You can go almost anywhere in the Western world at least, and you're going to see John. 3.16. But I'm going to start at 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten soul that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved whosoever includes everyone everyone that's everyone as we know but with emphasis on verse 17 for God said not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved 
Sometimes I hear Christians forget that. It's very easy to point a finger and condemn people who are not living the way Christ intends them, intended them to. I get that. But we have to remember there's also a verse in the Bible that says in Corinthians, as such were some of you, but now you are washed. We have to remember that it's not the condemnation if we reach out and show people a better way through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what? We don't know what we're planting. If you plant a seed, if somebody else comes along and water, God will give the increase. That's Bible. That's what it says. So it's a little frustrating for me when I hear Christians condemning everybody, even condemning each other. Let's be real. Well, that person can't really be saved because he said this. Well, that person can't really be saved because he said that. Well, look what that sister's wearing. She can't really be saved. See, you're looking at outward appearance. And maybe some people haven't reached where they need to reach in spiritual maturity yet to begin to change all of things. See, we jump in sometimes. We want to do the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit will do his own job. What we need to do is be obedient. So condemning other people instead of preaching Jesus and showing them a better way, that's really not what we ought to be doing. It's like my mother, my mother, great cook. Oh my goodness gracious, my mother, fantastic cook. But if she doesn't show me her recipe on how to make sweet potato pies, because that's her thing. Mama makes sweet potato pies like you would believe. If she doesn't show me to make those sweet potato pies the correct way the way that she does I'm probably not going to know so that's why it's important for us as Christians people who have the light we have the son of God we have he is our Lord we have to show people we have to point them in the right direction you pray they may not even receive you at least it may seem as if they're not receiving you when you're talking to them but all we do is we tell them anyway God will handle the rest. He'll do that, but we have to be obedient and do what he called us to do. So, tonight I, I really just want to talk about Jesus. Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. Many people had the name Jesus. I mean, that's really a common name. But the difference is when you add the Christ on to it, now we know who you're talking about. You're talking about the anointed one. Or Jesus the Messiah, if you look it up in Hebrew, as opposed to in Greek, when you say Christ, it all goes back to basically the anointed one or the one anointed with oil. You might find that if you go through the studies. So and then I even saw where Jesus can be translated into Joshua. You know, Jesus had a brother named Joshua. So the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God. Those are the distinction. Those are titles for Christ, as we all know. So when you look at Matthew 1, 1, it says the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's drawing distinction between from Jesus to Christ and any other Jesus. Because like I said, there's many Jesus. So as I refer back to Strong's Concordance, when you look these words up in a sentence, you know, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So when you 
have your lexicon okay you have to look up your old testament and look at the words in hebrew look at my favorite preachers in the new testament so jesus christ jesus christos meaning anointed just to give you a tidbit that would be strong's reference g 5547 and if you don't use strong's reference um uh strong's reference book or either the vines you're kind of missing out because some of the words we read in the bible you can actually think they mean one thing when they actually mean another so looking those words up in the greek or hebrew is very important it's very important so that you get the right conjugation of the words in the right context of those words i'm probably not telling you anything you don't know but at the same time i'm not sharing <laughs> so all right so since the topic really is jesus tonight let's look at his background Let's give you the background. But before I do that, let me ask you guys a question if you don't mind. I mean, if you don't want to answer, I understand. I mean, I don't want to put him out on the spot. But when you think of Jesus, what scripture or what thought do you all have? Does anyone care to share that? Yeah, that's all right if you don't. It's okay. So, <clears throat> let's. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> it's all right it's all right no problem okay so jesus we know he was born in bethlehem which is now present-day palestine okay so i've heard uh, brother mary and barbara refer to jesus as a palestinian jew is he wrong i don't think he is i mean he was born in what we would call modern-day palestine uh his parents were from nazareth and of course when he Kid, he moved back to Nazareth, and that's where he grew up. That's why they called him Jesus the Nazarene. Okay, and you can find that in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, and Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. And of course, his earthly parents being Joseph the carpenter and Mary. Uh, four siblings, four brothers, well, actually, six siblings, but four brothers James, Joseph, Simon. Judas. Judas also known as Jude, who wrote the book of Jude. That's his half brother. One of my favorite books in the entire Bible. Uh, and what's interesting, when you read Jude, Jude, in the very first verse, he says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called he does not refer to Jesus as his brother there. He refers to himself being Jesus Christ's servant. Now, some translations, they have it as slave. This is not demeaning. Because during that time in society, if you refer to yourself as a slave, that let everyone know that the person you were serving was of importance. And so you share in that importance at the time. So he says slave or servant. That's really actually, I mean, that's really actually denoting that his, the person he served was of high rank. Okay. And you can look at that at the uh, John Denver Academic Publication, which is a really good publication. If you guys want to do some study on that. So his brothers, his brothers, never called themselves really 
Jesus brothers either. That title, brother of the Lord, that wasn't given to his brothers until after they were dead. Like the fourth century, something like that. People start saying the brother of the Lord. But everyone at the time knew who his brothers were. And we see that throughout the Gospels. Here's what's interesting about Jesus. His two sisters. No one knew their names. No one knew their names. If you look at the apocryphal, apocryphal history of Joseph the Carpenter, that history lists the names of Salome and Mary. If you look at the 4th century Greek bishop and scholar Epiphanius Salmus, he said the names were Asia and Lydia. The bottom line is, we don't know. I mean, you have two different schools of thought. There are probably more than just two. But we do know he had sisters. At least everyone agrees that he had at least two sisters. If he had more sisters, we're, not, we're just not aware of that. But this is what I want to get to. The Bible says Jesus did so many miracles. And people saw him perform these miracles. They saw him do great things. Can you imagine being one of his siblings watching him? all these miracles as a matter of fact we I don't believe we know exactly well we don't know how many miracles Jesus actually performed I don't think we know of a third of what he actually did and we, I can say this because when you look at John verse John chapter 21 verse 25 it says and there are and there are also many other things which Jesus did the which if they should be written every one I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So we don't know how many miracles he performed. We just know the ones that are written in the book. Those are the ones I would suppose we need to know about because we know that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So those canonized, canonized pages, that's what we need to know. But he did so many other things. Whenever I read that scripture, it just blows my mind. What all did he actually do? And then still, people wanted to put him to death. They took Barabbas instead of him. They wouldn't let him go. I know it was God's plan. I get it. But just to show you the mindset and the spirit of man, he did all those things while he walked among them. And they still said, shout it, crucify him. They did all those things to him. Amazing to me. Amazing. Jesus. Jesus is mentioned or foreshadowed in every book of the Bible, all 66, beginning with Genesis. All 39 books of the Old Testament talk about Jesus in some form or fashion. Look at Luke 24, 44, verse 44, it says, this is Jesus talking. These are the words which I spake unto you. While I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses, Old Testament, and in the prophets, Old Testament, and in the Psalms concerning me. Every book talks about Jesus in some way. The whole Bible talks about Jesus. It talks about before he comes. It talks about him when he came talks about his return so when you hear people say and I've had them tell me because I used to debate a lot in college maybe after college when you 
hear them tell you, we don't read the Old Testament. It's just about the New Testament. Because we're in the dispensation of grace. When you hear people say that, they're telling you they haven't figured out yet that Jesus is in every book of the Bible. And so, I don't even debate people like that anymore. I just go on and I tell them the word. If they want to listen to it, great. They go, I'm just going to pray for you. Either way, I'm going to keep moving. I don't have time to argue with people. But, <clears throat> not anymore. I used to take joy in doing that. I don't do that anymore. It's just, I didn't work with it. I got to put my focus elsewhere. But, Old Testament talks about Jesus everywhere. Old Testament, written over a period of 1,500 years now. 1,500 years it took for the Old Testament to be written. Between 1,400 B.C. and 500 B.C. That's where scholars believe the Old Testament was written. And today, we have, of course, we didn't have one single book. We had the first five books, which is called the Septuagint, the Pentateuch, which is called what language, from Genesis to Deuteronomy, first five books of the Bible. But, 1500 years and we get the first compiled Old Testament in the 4th century the 4th century and then we get the whole Bible in the 12th century from Stephen Langston I mean he, he sat down and wrote it actually what Stephen Langston did was he put the chapters and verses into the Bible because when the Bible was written on passage paper there were no chapters and verses that didn't come into the 1500s. Just to give you some background. And so, I'm sorry, he, he put them in the 12th century, but the full chapters and divisions and verses and all that wasn't really finalized until 1557 by Robert S. Dean. And then the old Bible in 1516. <clears throat> so, I like researching historical stuff like that about the Bible because it shows me, a re it gives me a reference point to when this actually occurred and what do we have before versus what we have now and so there's a whole nother teaching we can do on the maccabees and how they translated and wrote the bible and preserved it for like 600 years just one family to be an asher line of the, of the uh, book of the maccabees it's amazing if you want to read that kind of stuff it just shows you how god had people in place the whole time and if, to preserve his word up until right now, January 26, 2023, is fascinating. It's fascinating to me if you like that kind of stuff, the historical parts of how we got to where we are now. And so, one main reason why I want to talk about Jesus tonight and bring up his background and, and, you know, and St. John is because when I talk to certain people throughout my daily life, and I interact with people who identify as Christian, there's usually one issue that's really underlying, and it just points to people don't know who they worship. They have no idea who they worship. They will identify with Christianity, but when you start asking them questions, they really don't know, or they get things confused about who Jesus is because, and no offense, but they're religious. We're not called to be religious. We call to have a relationship. Jesus 
corrected religious leaders routinely. I mean, in the temple, correcting them through love and demonstrating his power with signs and wonders. I mean, we see that in Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 19. We're not called to be religious. We're called to show we have a viable, powerful relationship He's still alive. He's on the throne and he communicates. Okay. And I know there are some Christian circles that are cautious to even mention the name of Jesus because they don't want to offend other people. They don't want to offend other people who have beliefs that are contrary to their own. We're not called to be that way. We're called to be bold. They, they don't want to be labeled by the world as insensitive or non-inclusive. Are not inclusive, or they so they spread this watered down version of the gospel trying to fit in. They have a like a more universal approach to heaven, and see, that's not who we are. If you listen to them carefully, they believe everyone is going to heaven, everybody, it doesn't matter. But see, if you if you think that way, then what can you say about the blood of Jesus that washes away sin and cleanses? You're just saying that, okay, if you're alive, you're breathing, and you, you say you're a Christian, you're going to heaven. That's not what my Bible teaches. Not at all. They, they believe you're a good person, you love everybody. This is very dangerous. It's dangerous doctrine. And we got to know the word. We got to know it. So we have to be careful, even us, we have to be careful with the verbiage we use when we're talking to the world. Talking to the world, you can't speak like them and say you Christian. You, you cannot do that because number one is going to be confusing. Number two, did he say be holy for he's holy? You can't act and speak and talk like them. We have to be different. We we can't exchange reverence for God by giving him these unbefitting titles. Like I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said I mentioned God. They said the universe. The universe didn't do anything for me. The universe didn't die on the cross. The universe what didn't, didn't rise again. I'm talking about universe. No, it's not universe. I'm talking about virgin birth of the Holy Spirit, work miracles, dragged across the Galgotha, was crucified, died, now he's risen. That's not the universe. But they come up with all these crazy titles for God that makes no sense. As Christians, we have to straighten that. We have to, we have to. I mean, with love and being tactful. No, say don't jump on anybody's head. <laughs> I'm not saying that, but we do have to correct that because we don't want people to leave our presence in error, and we didn't try to correct them. I feel like if a person is in front of you and you're trying to witness to them, and they say something in error, I feel like you're there to correct them in a loving, in a loving fashion. But you can't do that when you don't know Jesus for yourself. If you don't know Jesus for yourself and you haven't studied and you haven't prayed and you're not prayed up, how, how are you going to correct anybody? You need to be correct. So it's like, amen. So it's like we got to be led by the Spirit, church. I mean, so what do we do? You know what we do? We preach and teach the Word. We preach and teach the Word. I heard my sister mention Romans 10 tonight. Verse 7. I have that up right here. This is what I was going to talk about. That 
the word is near you, even in your mouth. You know, that is the word of faith which we preach. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God is raised him from the dead, you should be saved. For with the heart man believing unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture said, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And then if you drop down to verse 14, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they shall they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So the question is, who is the preacher? Who is the preacher? Who points people to Christ? You do. You do. You have that opportunity. You the preacher. Because you know what? For some people, they're not going to go home and read a Bible. No. They're going to look at you. You're the only Bible they'll ever read until they come to know who Christ is for themselves. You're the only Bible. The only Bible. So they're looking at you to see how you handle your stress. They're looking at you to see how you handle your frustration. They're looking at you to see how you handle adversity. Some of them looking at you because they want you to stumble. Let's be real about it. They want to see you stumble so they can say, oh, see those Christians? They're all the same. They're all the Christians. All the same. But see, a lot of us, we have these gimmicks. We have these falsehoods. We have people trying to take advantage of other people. When we're supposed to be different. We cannot be the same like other people. We have to really show people who Christ is. If you show people who Christ is, like I said earlier, God will do the work on them. You plant where you are. God will do the work. He'll add the increase. You know, just like First Peter 2 verse 9 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Show forth the praise of him who have called you out of darkness into a marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So Jesus, he makes us different. We're supposed to be odd to the world. We shouldn't try to fit in. We don't fit in. So when you try to fit in with the world, it's like trying to put a square peg into a round hole. It's not going to fit. And so we shouldn't try to fit. We should point them back to Jesus. That's what we should do. We don't do everything they do. We don't worship only the stars. We don't practice divination, divination of mysticism. We pray. We make supplication. That's what we do. We don't practice all that crazy stuff like astrology. We have hope. We have faith that we exercise. We have to speak the word, the unadulterated word. That's another thing that I want to bring up, too, is because a lot of these people we meet who identify as Christian, they don't get the word because a lot of churches that I've seen, I, I love to watch YouTube. I watch YouTube a lot. And so a lot of these churches on YouTube, and I'm, not, I'm not pointing a finger, but I'm just exposing the truth. They don't get into expository preaching anymore. Expository preaching is, you know, preaching the Bible, preaching scripture. It puts the focus on scripture. They, they come up with their own opinions. They have all these thoughts. They tell you about what could be. They tell you about what should be. But it's not on scripture. It's not on scripture. 
I mean, it's amazing. You can sit down and if you're not careful and you're listening to them, you may not catch what they're really saying. It's like stuff they come up with that are gimmicky to get people to come in. Instead of just focus on the word, just focus on Jesus, Holy Ghost. That's it. But they have to be extra. You know, if if I was in one of those circles where I could actually talk to some of those folks on a regular basis, I would ask them a few questions like, can we just get back to kingdom business? Can we get back to kingdom business? Can you? I would talk to them as best I could and get them to try to understand that they're in, they're in error. The focus is on Jesus. The focus is on the word. I mean, and then you have all these churches that you go to church, you sit in there, and all you're going to get is politics. You're going to get politics after politics. Every election cycle, they don't like this president. They don't like that president. But if you know who your source really is, it doesn't matter who's sitting in that White House. Because you know it's about who's in your father's house and who you can bring with you to your father's house. It's not about the politics. It's about Christ. We need to get the focus off of politics and put it back on the word and on Jesus. I wish we just go back to a time when these churches didn't get into Who's a Democrat? Who's a Republican? Because it should be about the soul, the soul of man, the Great Commission. That's what it should be about. Not anything else. The Word. And, you know, I've stood on street corners talking about Christ. I've met all kinds of people. We should be bold, bold to bring people in to the house of God. Bold. Just not be afraid to speak. That name, that name of Jesus, and just be fervent in our prayers that we read about in James chapter 5. Just fervent and real and genuine because the world needs to see real people, not people who will clap and, and, and try to bless them only when they put something in their offering plate, but genuine people who really care about them and pointing them back to Jesus. That's what we need to be doing. And I'm not saying there are people doing that. Obviously, there are. I mean, we're on this line. I know what this line is about. But there's a lot of people who are not doing that. But the focus has to be on God, His Word, Holy Spirit, etc. So, my only thing is, if you're a righteous man, you have to take on the righteousness of Christ. It's not your righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. 13, 13, 14 says, and I love this thing. It says, let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. That's Bible. That's Bible. We need to get back to the gifts of the Spirit overall. There's a church down the street. I won't say the name. <clears throat> came here because I moved when I came here I was looking for a home church and so I passed by that church I saw the name I came back to the house I put the name of the church into Google so I could just read what they're all about and I promise you on their website it says if you have the gifts of the spirit particularly speaking in tongues do not interrupt their service wait until you get home and I said to myself, 
okay, I know there are churches who believe this way. Put it on your website. That is unbelievable to me. It's, it's just a matter of lack of understanding. So I just pray for them. <clears throat> just pray for them because some people need to understand. These are the same gifts that are inspired by the Holy Spirit that is talked about and taught in the Word of God. And that's what they say. And even now, talking about some of the churches and how we need to get back to doing the work of God. I mean, even right now, we have churches that have bars in them. You can Google that. I'm not making that up, and I wouldn't. There are some churches to attract people. They have built bars in their churches. I mean, if they're not doing that, then it's about, you know, I don't, I don't understand that. We have too many gimmicks. We have too many gimmicks. You know, and I understand because since 1999, the church church membership has dwindled from 70% down to 50% now. I mean, we have a problem. And, and maybe it's just a matter of people being genuine and knowing who Christ is. It's, it's, it's amazing the gimmicks going on but Christ is still Christ. God does not change and he never will. And his word will never change. He never will. So we just get back to the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 17 to 20, where we are commanded. It's not a suggestion, it's a commanded that we go out and we teach people to observe all things that whatsoever I've commanded you and lo I am with you even unto the end of the age. That's what it says in verse 19 it says go ye therefore and teach all nations baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost We have to get back to basics We have to get back to basics That is our job. It's not a suggestion So we have to get back as a whole to ministry to walk in the spirit to stand focused on the word of God so Two more points and then I'll finish. I just want to tell you Jesus as a redeemer. He wouldn't be here if he wasn't a redeemer. Jesus as the redeemer. What does redemption mean? It means the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. Saving, vindication, absolution. The action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. He paid the debt with his own blood for us. That's Jesus. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Humble, servant, that is Jesus. That is him. That is who we need to be, humble, a humble servant. And there are many scriptures that talk about redemption. Next one, he's a restorer. There's no better example of Jesus being a restorer and bringing restoration then Simon Peter in John 21, verse 15 to 17, where Jesus, excuse me, where Jesus restored Peter after Peter denied him three times. And Jesus said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. 
and then I have spiritual restoration as well. You know, it's like we have our jobs and we're moving from one widget to the next and every day is repetition. We're doing the same thing to the point where it's so monotonous, we're not really enjoying the job. We're just doing the job. We're not building relationships with people on the job, but it's just a job. And I've seen with my own eyes, people in five-fold ministry, they can become the same. Where it's a job. You've stirred the gifts. I mean, you have the gifts. The gifts God gave you, they're without repentance. He don't repent, forgive them to you. And all of a sudden, it's like you get into this repetitive motion. And you're really not fulfilled. You're just doing it. And you need to be restored. You need to be refreshed. But you don't have the totality of the experience. I mean, we, we shout, we dance. But in other words, we're just going through the motions. So let me put it this way. It's like leadership in a church, right? That leadership title does not indicate your level of intimacy with God. It's a title. Something that you're supposed to be doing. But you can take a janitor in that same church who can be close to God because of his devotion, his servitude, his obedience is great. And we know God is no respect of persons. We know that from Acts 10, 34. So we have to be careful, even those in Christian leadership, that we, we have to keep we have to keep our relationship fresh with God. We can't get into a rut. And just be going through the motions. You know, sometimes you know, there's a moral compromise that takes place because it just it's just a job. But God can restore is what I'm trying to say to you. And so I want to encourage everyone to just, just press in no matter where you are, what you're going through. Just press in. I'm here to encourage you. You, know, you got to keep what you have fresh. And God is the restorer. He will restore. He will restore what you have. A hundred percent. He can do that. That's who he is. You know, even if it's healing, healing restoration. God has everything you need. We know that. I mean, if you look at Mark 8, verse 22 to 26, where it says, He come to the Savior, and they bring a blind man unto him and brought and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, he put his hands upon him and asked him if he saw. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clear. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it any, nor tell it to any in the town. But look what Jesus did. He took him out of the village. Took him out of his surroundings himself and led him by the hand. Sometimes you have to change your surroundings of people and circumstances so you can receive what God has for you. You got to get away. And God will do it for you. He said, I see men like trees. How did he know what trees look like if he was blind? But here's the deal we have no reference that this man was born blind. So that means he was being restored. So he saw before. I mean, Jesus could have healed him 100% the first time, but this was deliberate. This man had to continue to depend on Jesus for another touch. And after he healed him, he told him, 
Don't go back into the village. Don't go back into the village. So, finally, Jesus, the intercessor. The Bible shows that Jesus speaks to the Father on our behalf. Romans 8.34 It says that Jesus at the right hand of God is also interceding for us. 1 John 2.1 We read that Jesus is our advocate with the Father and from Hebrews 7.25 we learn that Jesus always lives to intercede for us. Whenever we go through any type of struggle, at least for me, and I think it's true of most people, there's always that one person we can count on. It could be a parent, a friend, a member, a member of clergy, but we have Jesus himself who makes intercession for us. Jesus himself making intercession for us. How are we going to lose? We have to trust in God, serve him, Put away all the distractions. Focus on the word. Have a walk worthy of the king. And God will bless us. He'll do the rest. He'll do the rest. Because in Christianity, really, there's only two core principles the way I see it. Those is to serve and to bring others into the fold to do what? To also serve. To also serve. We have to do it from a Pure, clean heart and be genuine with people, and be honest with God and ourselves. He will bless us, He'll restore, He'll heal. He is our intercessor. So, what I want to do now is I just want to challenge everyone who listened to me tonight. I want to challenge you to just try to build a closer relationship with Jesus. If it means spending more time in prayer, then do that. Spending more time in praise, reading the Bible, then do that. Because I'm talking to you, but I'm also talking to myself. So I'm not saying anything to you that I wouldn't say that I wouldn't uh, be good for me as well. Because I want to be closer. I asked you in the beginning. I want to be close to the Lord. I want to be as close as I can be. I want to run after God so I can be the best Christian man. Bible tells me to be because it all goes back to the word. It all goes back to the word. So that's all I have for you guys tonight. I hope you're blessed by it. God bless you. God keep you. I'm always praying for you whether I'm on this line or not. God bless.